Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Interlinked, an initiative under the Center for New Economic Studies at OP Jindal Global University. Interlinked aims to hold nuanced conversations on the interdis- interdisciplinary nature of the problems plaguing the world today. As we hold conversations on the socio-political climate, we want to break down these intellectual barriers and look at topics in a way that will allow us to question them from several facets. If you are listening to us for the first time, do take a look at our previous work. Today, we are joined by Professor Ajay Gudavati, who is a renowned voice among the Indian political landscape and currently is an associate professor of political science at Jawaharlal Nehru University. In today's session, we will be discussing the current political discourse regarding the caste census in India. So, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Ganesh. So, for our first question, sir, for the audience, can you first tell us about the caste census in general and why it is of such significance as it has taken spot as one of India's major contemporary political issues? Well, caste, you know, there's a lot of historical as well as contemporary political debate on around census in India. And uh, census is... Uh, squarely political activity. You know, the first census was back as early as 1931, the first attempt at enumeration under the colonial rule. And this was followed up uh, by census in independent India from 1951 to 2011. And uh, and therefore, uh, it, it uh, elicits a lot of data, information about uh, caste, religion, ethnicity, uh, so on and so forth. But most of the census in India, post-independent census, uh, published uh, mostly data on scheduled caste and scheduled pride, but not on uh, other castes. The current caste, uh, no, uh, what, what we are being promised, the caste census, uh, is planning to go beyond uh, SC and SCs to go into OBCs for the first time, along with uh, social and economic uh, indicators. Uh, though... As you would know, the constitution provides that only the union government has the power to conduct census. Several state governments like Bihar, Karnataka, Odisha have been conducting socio-economic caste surveys to ascertain the social and economic status of different caste for better policy making, though they are not able to call them caste census because of the legal uh, hassles. Uh, therefore, they are calling it door-to-door survey and uh, caste headcount, uh, you know, things of that kind. The Bihar government recently, as you know, has conducted the first of its kind uh, caste census, which includes the OBC. So this fact that we are getting into the details of caste configuration, uh, details of linking population with socio-economic indicators, with social and economic rights, you know, general slogan now is Jitna Abadi, Jitna Hak. So we are linking the entire rights regime uh, to the proportion of uh, population. And that's precisely the reason why caste census becomes such an important tool uh, for mitigating certain kind of social marginalization, disadvantages, and vulnerabilities. Uh, thank you, sir, for that answer. And bouncing off of that question, what are the factors behind the fact that the census has not taken place throughout the country and has been delayed at least. So by when can we actually expect the census to take place on a national level? Well, you know, it's a politically, it's a political standoff because uh, BJP for some reason, as of now, uh, seems to think that uh, caste census does not really work in its favor because uh, BJP imagines that its politics based on creating a common uh, Hindu identity. 
is well over 63%. Mr. Nitish Kumar has you know, promised higher reservation percentage for the OBCs. He has promised higher percentage of 2% to the STs, higher percentage for the SCs. So this is now uh, his, his, according to him, now the it, it goes well beyond uh, 75%. So this will be the new dramatic transformation, immediate dramatic transformation if caste census and policy framework as a follow-up to caste census is going to be implemented, then India is going to have a reservation well up to 75%, which is close to the model of Tamil Nadu. The Tamil Nadu is one state which has breached uh, because of the non-Brahmin Dravidian movement, uh, the caste percentage uh, of 50% much, much well ahead. This, therefore, in, in course of Indian uh, political process, it will lead to a debate on equality of opportunities versus equality of outcomes. That is, it demands a more direct state intervention in rectifying existing social and economic inequalities. That given the fact that mere the liberal procedural justice of providing equality of opportunities is not really working in the Indian context, because even in, even if in terms of norm and institutional procedures you have established equality of opportunities, there are other kinds of caste-related disadvantages, very intangible factors of confidence, recognition, question of stigma, dignity, sense of self, uh, which cannot be quantified. This would therefore mean that we would require, unlike the affirmative action policies of the United States, uh, we would require direct quotas for equality of outcome. So this, in one sense, is a very dramatic, and if it can be implemented, then it could be very dramatic and uh, transformative measures. So clearly, like, the caste census has been sort of a politically partisan issue. So what would be the political landscape of India, like, if there is a census? What would be the changes in the political landscape of India post-census? And how do you see the political discourse change after such a census has taken place? Well, that's a big question in terms of how, what would be the impact of, uh, you know, the caste census. What would, what, what should one expect in terms of political transformation? Uh, so, as I've argued that you know, mere uh, implementation or mere, you know, caste census is like a doctor's, you know, diagnosis report that is diagnosing a problem. The diagnosing a problem does not necessarily mean correct medication. Good doctors might diagnose well, but we can give you very bad medicines, which can lead to a lot of side effects, right? It's a similar process. Now, one has to wait and see. So, one immediate question that will come into play is the 50% cap on reservations. Is it valid? What is the justification for it? Uh, which would, by default, would mean that you're reserving the rest of the 50% for forward costs, which are only 10% in the population. So, the, in, in an ethical, political sense, uh, this does not make any sense. That why should 50% of population have, 10% of the population have 50% access to resources, jobs, and education, and the 80% population have a 50% cap. So this would be the kind of a debate that we will get into, which is good in terms of you know equality of resources, so on and so forth. Uh, if you look at the recent here no census, it revealed that 34% of households in the state earn 
6,000 or less per month. Among upper caste who make up to 15% of the population, the Bhumiyars are poorer than others. Similarly, the Yadavs, who are generally considered to be very dominant caste, who are up to 15%, are poorer than other OBCs, who make up about 27% of the population. Overall, the state has 94 lakh poor families, and the state literacy rate has increased from 61% in 2011 to 59.7% now. Now, what, are, what kind of mitigating steps can uh, the state really take? You know, if you look at Mr. Nitish Kumar's recent announcements, he says that he plans to give one-time assistance of 2 lakh to each of the poor families so that they could start their own venture of their life. Besides, 63,850 families have been found to be homeless. And there he has announced that he would give 60,000 for land, which is to be increased to rupees 1 lakh so that they could buy their land. There is already a policy of giving 1.20 lakh assistance for building houses. And he said that we will launch a, a campaign to cover all of it. So these are the kinds of, now you can see, concrete policies that are being envisaged uh, out of uh, the, 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 the data that has come out of the Bihar caste census. So that's one part of it. Now one can raise a valid question of, is this a, a relevant or is this is this a sufficient way of handling the question of class and caste inequalities uh, in India? So there are three broad issues that caste census promises around which caste census is being carried out as a kind of a counter narrative to the current right-wing majority in government headed by Mr. Narendra Modi. What are those three issues? One, they are saying caste census will lead to expansion of better political representation among OBCs, Dalits, SCs and STs. Second, they are arguing that caste census will lead to enlargement of welfare policies and welfare regime. Third, they are also arguing that caste census will finally put an end to the kind of confessional ethnic majoritarianism that we are witnessing in India currently. Now the question we need to ask is that what would Indian politics gain by this expansion of political representation? One, it will what it will do is to push representation beyond the dominant caste within OBCs and Dalits. I have referred in my own writing to these classes as mezzanine elites. That is Yadavs among OBCs or Kurmis among OBCs, Jatavs among uh, Dalits, Lambadas among SDs. These are the mezzanine elites who have benefited out of the policy of reservations for the last 30 years and who have therefore gained a certain kind of a social and economic status and that these benefits did not really percolate to the other cause. Therefore, there is a demand for subdivision and there was a process of subdivision among OBCs and Dalits all across India. So it may lead to new demands such as why not have an EBC chief minister as a representative of all the OBCs instead of having only Yadavs and Kurmis, which is a fair uh, demand to make. But as we kind of raise this question, we should also raise other corollary conceptual questions that are important, that are going to be important uh, for Indian politics. That is, 
would it or would it not lead to growing intra-subaltern conflicts? Again, in my own writings, I have referred to this process as uh, the rise of secular sectarianism. Will it not lead to increasing sectarian inward-looking tendencies within each jati or each subcaste, uh, leading to a certain kind of unhealthy social fragmentation? Therefore, instead, alongside expansion of representation, it, there is also great propensity that India will witness greater degree of intra-subaltern conflicts. Once you have greater degree of intra-subaltern conflicts, which would mean that it will put an end to this large conglomeration of Dalit, you know, category of being Dalit, which includes various subcasts among general caste, or the category of an OBC, which includes various categories of so-called Shudra Jatis or Shudra subcasts. So you will not, it will be impossible to then conceive of this large conglomeration. There will be only subcast politics at the level of jatis, which in in one sense, there's a great possibility that the outcome of this could be that the weakening of Dalit Bahujan resistance to caste Hindu social power. And that's precise reason why I think that BJP may not actually, you know, or RSS may not have much of a problem with the caste census. At a second level, does mere expansion of social uh, representation alone mean social change? Yeah, representation, no doubt, is a very important uh, thing. But if you look at history of constitutional politics in India, there has always been a trade-off, a very, very unhealthy, anti-democratic trade-off. That is, if you look at the Muslim case, for instance, the, what the Constituent Assembly debates actually end up doing is that you offer Muslims personal laws, but uh, you trade it off with their social and economic rights. If you look at the caste question, you give them more representation to reserve constituencies, but you trade them off to their social and economic rights. So a big question that we should really be debating around this caste census, not through the simple-minded that, you know, it leads to expansion of representation and depict this as some kind of a very transformative revolutionary step. That is what mainstream political parties, more so the Dalit Bahujan, mezzanine elite politics are doing. That while, as I said, expansion of representation is a welcome step, but it can have an uncanny double. It can have a counterproductive effect if you do not raise important corollary political and conceptual questions and those are that, those questions that how are we going to handle intra-subaltern conflicts how are we going to avoid a trade-off between representation and social economic rights how are we therefore going to see that this representation will actually effectively translate into social economic uh, you know, rights of the majority of Dalit politics you know the history of implementation of uh, SE reservation in this country shows that only nearly 6% of them have benefited. The rest of them have been kept out. Uh, so 94% uh, cannot really avail. And reservation cannot be a panacea for all kinds of problems within caste. Therefore, one has to think of solutions outside of reservations. And this and the elite that is emerging, the mezzanine elite that's emerging out of reservations is... Uh, is for various reasons unable to do. They're not able to transcend their own class nobility. They have no connect with other castes uh, at the ground. And therefore, their entire imagination of anti-caste politics is limited to their own class position. Therefore, these are, I think, big time 
questions that we'll have to raise uh, as a possible critique of the outcome of uh, caste census. And the second point is welfareism. That, you know, as governments are promising, opposition parties are saying that uh, correct figure with uh, Dalits, OBCs, STs uh, would lead to greater uh, implementation of welfare policies. Now, this is a big, a second big uh, question that uh, we need to really raise that, you know, that uh, what kind of welfareism are we really talking about? That, you know, the kind of policies that Mr. Uh, Nitish Kumar spoke about, uh, that welfareism of giving some handouts, welfareism of giving one lakh, two lakh rupees to start your own venture, all this, to my mind, does not really work. That you know that that welfareism remains very limited. That welfareism limits uh, remains within the limits of uh, uh, neoliberal consensus, uh, and therefore, uh, I think the we need to give more trust to what kind of welfareism are we talking about? Simply having figures, or simply having literacy rates, or simply having socio-economic indicators is itself not a solution. That you know we'll have to have a robust imagination, which has to be an independent exercise, which will not naturally flow from caste census. The governments might offer these kinds of doles, which I don't think are very empowering, you know, just to give someone one lakh, two lakh rupees and ask them to start their own venture when they continue to have those handicaps of caste, because of which we actually carried out caste census. Will handing out rupees two lakh to someone, you know, uh, counter and actually empower and entitle him to something? I don't think so. Therefore, second point would be a greater debate on welfareism, concrete policies of welfare. Final third point we are being told, caste census uh, is uh, you know, a game changer, is that it is going to arrest uh, confessional majoritarian to the rise of this whole demand for Hindu Rashtra and so forth. Now we need to also again uh, critically interrogate this claim by opposition parties. 1990, when Mandal Commission was implemented, we were told the same thing. The debate was Mandal versus Kamandal. That uh, you know, once we have Mandal politics emerging with social justice politics, rise of RJD, SP, JDU, and other social justice parties, including BSP, we were told that these are the parties which are going to arrest the rise of BJP and RSS in this country. But last 10, 20 years of experience clearly shows that OBCs are now the backbone of BJP in India. If there is sing one single force which has led to this unprecedented rise of BJP electorally and RSS socially, uh, it is the shift in uh, OBCs. So again, Modi as OBC phase uh, you know, adds to the uh, demand for greater representation. So BJP and RSS are willing to give you uh, this kind of representation. CSDS data of 2019 tells you that 42% of OBCs and 33% of Dalits voted uh, to uh, BJP. And even if you look at the recent uh, assembly elections that happened in Rajasthan, Telangana, and Madhya Pradesh, and even Chhattisgarh, that the uh, BJP made great you know, strides and gains in tribal. In fact, all the four seats they won in Telangana were in the tribal areas, tribals voting for them. Because what they did was to subdivide tribals, pitch one tribal, non-dominant tribals against one dominant Lambada caste. And that's how they mobilized uh, the Dalits. 
So merely having a caste census, breaking it down into caste, subcaste, jatis, I don't think is is uh, is is necessarily a check on confessional majority. If anything, it is actually in a very robust sense adding up uh, to the rise of BJP. So on all three fronts, representation, welfare, and confessional majoritarianism, uh, caste census could be a beginning, but can be extremely a counterproductive if you do not raise necessary critical social and economic questions so much for the answer sir lastly given your experience and expertise what policy recommendations or methods would you provide for the purposes of conducting a fair census on a national or state level and what are the challenges that the government could face in the process of conducting this no for this to answer quickly i would argue that what we need to really move towards is question of structural welfareism you know we cannot have an effective outcome on caste census with neoliberalism. If you look at the, uh, the migrant problem that we faced during COVID, the growing informalization, you have 90% in the workforce in the informal sector, labor codes were changed during uh, COVID. Uh, so all of this will tell you that even under this current regime, 72,000 government schools have been closed down and there's increasing privatization and saturation of education. So I think we'll have to imagine the challenge in terms of structural welfareism. And one big thing that I can tell you is about common schools, more investment in primary school sections, containment of private uh, institutions and private educational uh, institutions like Telangana government. Now I promise 15% budget allocation for education. That is the direction we need to take increasing investment in public goods of education, health, employment, so on and so forth. That's a big outcome. That's when caste census will be a success story. It's very important to understand what the effects of the caste census would be, electorally speaking, on the politics of the country and also how it shapes the discourse about not only political issues, but socio-economic issues, especially involving the entry between caste and class. So thank you so much, sir, for coming to our podcast. It was a very informative session and thank you so much. If you're listening to us for the first time, please check out our other work on the website and on our Spotify channel. Thank you.